In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear congregation, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Gospel lesson this morning has two parts. The first part teaches us about the forgiveness of sins and how we should expect to receive it. The second part teaches us about the forgiveness of sins and how we should live like we believe it. Jesus absolves a man who cannot walk. He proves his authority to absolve him by enabling him to walk. So also we should believe the gospel when we hear it. And we should give evidence that we do by the way we behave. When we walk in the newness of life, we do not display a righteousness that originates in us. Rather, we demonstrate that he who forgave us our sins, one, has authority to do so, and two, has the power to enable us to walk as we do. There is no doubt that the crowds who marveled and glorified God were particularly impressed by Jesus' ability to cause a paralyzed man to stand up and walk. But what they marveled at was not mere power. They marveled at his authority. That is what St. Matthew writes. When the crowds saw it, they marveled and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Jesus displayed the power he had in order to confirm the authority he had. Power is something that one has in himself. We might call it strength. If you've got it, you've got it. Authority is something that that one is given. It falls under whether one may more than whether he can. When the centurion begged Jesus simply to say a word and his servant would be healed, he nailed down what authority is. He didn't say, I also have authority, saying to this one, go, and to that one, do that, and they have to do it. No. He said, I also am a man under authority, saying to this one, and that one, do this or that, and he does it. Jesus' power was because he is true God. All power God has, Jesus has. There is nothing he cannot do, for he is Lord Almighty. Jesus' authority was because he is the Son of Man. Whatever the Father says, Jesus does. He does as our substitute, as the perfect man, under orders to live and die for us. Whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak, Jesus said. And why? Jesus tells us immediately before. It is because, as he says, I know that his command is everlasting life. That's why. This is authority. Jesus says what he says because his Father told him. He says what he says because it is everlasting life for us. Jesus does what he does because he can. He does what he does in order to prove his authority, to say what he says. Jesus came to save. Jesus was under orders. He was under the authority of his Father, from whom all authority comes. His Father sent him not to dismiss sin, but to bear it. When Jesus was transfigured for Peter, James, and John to see the 
surpassing brightness of his person as the eternal Son of God, he gave them a special glimpse of his resurrection glory. He then told them to say nothing of it until he rose from the dead. Such glory could only be accessed again by seeing Jesus as the one who suffered for our sins. The Transfiguration teaches us where to seek God's glory. In a similar way, when Jesus absolved this man, when he told him to be of good cheer, that his sins were forgiven him, we likewise see Jesus giving a special glimpse into what was yet to come. By forgiving this man sin as he did, Jesus was hearkening ahead to when he would pay for his sins on the cross. He forgave not by virtue of some great power he had, but by virtue of how weak he would become. The absolution teaches us where to seek God's authority. Forgiveness is not absolute. It is full and free, but it is not cheap. It is not absolute. Forgiveness is always conditional. Now what does this mean? It means that God does not wave his hand to forgive us our sins. He sends his son. He doesn't change his mind about our sin. He keeps consistent judgment against it. But he lays the guilt on Christ. In him is the condition. He requires it of Jesus who meets the condition. By forgiving the man, he told him that he himself takes his sin away all the way to the cross. He was saying, I will take that into myself. I will take the guilt. I will take the blame. I will suffer and die for whatever sin weighs on your conscience because you know what makes God mad and I know what makes God mad and I bear his wrath. So also, when he forgives us, he leads us always back to where he did for this man what he did for the whole world. He directs us to where he bore in his body and soul all God's wrath against our sin. This is where the Son of Man gained the authority to forgive it. He forgives not by some act of almighty power, as the scoffers assume he should and could. If God is unmerciful and all-powerful, why doesn't he just forgive everyone and be done with it? No, he forgives by act of almighty authority. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that the Comforter will take of mine and declare it to you. So the Holy Spirit shall glorify the Son of Man by, by accompanying his absolution, by working through his absolution, by binding himself to his absolution with the authority that Jesus won on the cross to forgive what he bore. He made peace with the Father to declare this peace to you. He declared peace to this poor paralytic in order to guarantee his route to the cross and his victory there. What caused the crowds to marvel was his power, for sure. His tremendous strength to change the man's health in a moment. Simply by saying a word, this caused the crowds to marvel. But it is what they therefore concluded that makes the page that God had given such authority as this. He who was able to raise a paralytic from where he lies is allowed to tell him that his sins are forgiven before God in heaven. Just as the power is what especially caused the crowds to marvel, so perhaps we can assume 
It was this power that caused the paralytic first to hope. Or why do we suppose his friends carried him to Jesus? Was it because he would not cheer up or take heart? Was it because he would not stop carrying on about what a wretch he was and how undeserving he was? Well, who knows? It is perhaps possible that they knew what burden of sin was on their friend's conscience. And it is clear that his need to be raised from his bed was a cause of his sin. It was a cause of the curse. But did they expect Jesus to do what was most obvious? Well, they made bold to bring him to the Lord who had power to save. And perhaps the most obvious need was forefront in their mind. But it was the Lord who diagnosed his greater need. And his deeper desire. He saw his faith. He saw the substance of what he hoped for. He saw the conviction of things unseen, which may have even been fogged and clouded in the, in the eyes of this man, who didn't quite yet know what he truly wanted. Or did he do for this man first what the man only may have wanted as an afterthought? Did this man hope to stand and walk and then get forgiven instead? To those who will not give up on their worldly dreams, this sounds disappointing. To those who take their cues from the old man growing corrupt day by day to determine what they most desire, well, it sounds like the man got cheated at first because his need is obvious. And so are ours. We know them and feel them and we bring them before God in prayer constantly. And we come to church because the God who is able to help, well, just may help. As we sing, he sees and blesses in worst distresses. He can change them with a breath. But then, like this paralytic, he saves his breath, so to speak. Or breathes something else instead. What may have been an afterthought for us, a consolation prize, so to speak. He breathes a different word that addresses what may have felt like a less pressing problem. But we're wrong to think so. He changes all our problems with the same breath. He who breathed on his disciples and told them to receive the Holy Spirit promised that whosoever sins they forgive are forgiven. He forgave this man with the very same authority that he continues to give to his church today to forgive us. For this authority has been given to men. It is authority to declare peace with God to be sure, but it is authority also to diagnose what your truest need is. You don't need God to give you the money that you've been stressing about all week and maybe for months. You don't need God to change everyone's attitude toward you at work, which has made earning your money such a trial. You don't need God to grant worldly success to your grandson who's applying for this or training for that. You don't need your husband to lighten up or your wife to see things your way. You don't need a clean bill of health or for the pain to leave you alone at night. You don't even need to live in a free country. But all these things are not unmindful to him who loves you. 
Though all these things may be granted, God grants them with power in order to prove his authority to address, to address what you do need above all, the one thing needful which cannot be taken away from you who hear his word and guard it when he says that it is yours and it's yours. You need it to be yours. You need your sins to be forgiven. If it is a second place afterthought for us, O Lord, have mercy. And he has. For it is never an afterthought to him. Mercy towards sinners who are otherwise hopelessly distracted by worldly needs and wants is in the front of his mind always. He has commanded the gospel to be preached to you. And if it is all he grants today, praise God. For it is the power you need. At the very least, you will have a good conscience to bear what he in his wisdom decides you must still bear for a while. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. This power saves forever because this power is grounded in the authority that Jesus gained in time as our substitute when he bore the curse in your place as the Son of Man. If he does change any distress with a breath as we sing, know that he does in pure kindness for you and to drive your thought and devotion by his power to this tremendous authority that you depend on even more, to the breath of life found only where God's mercy is proclaimed in Jesus' name. Jesus' power, as it did for this paralytic, proved his authority. And more than that, it proved how excellent and spot-on his diagnosis was. Dear child, I know what you feel, what you lack, what disables you and frustrates you every day. I know it, and will take it into myself to take it away from you. I know where it came from and why. It was I who cursed the world. It is I who by this curse urged you to seek help from me, and I am here to help. It was I who imposed restless futility onto my own creation and onto you, whom I made in my own image to know me. And I am here to shine my face upon you. I know what pain you deserve. I want you to confess it. For it is I who will remove this curse again. But dear child, I cannot take your pain away without taking your sin away. I cannot take your paralysis away, your helpless away, helplessness away, your weakness away, without taking your sin away. So receive this first, dear child, this power to believe. Take heart and receive first what you must hereafter seek first, and all these things shall be added to you. Cheer up and be bold to expect more. Your sins are forgiven you. Before Jesus helps him, and before he helps us, he leads us to know and possess the source of all help. It is in knowing God as your loving Father who sees your truest need. The right you have to become the child of God, as St. John says in the first chapter of his Gospel, but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God. This right you have 
comes from the authority that Jesus has and that he exercises through the ministry he instituted for his church until the end of the ages. As he describes in the last chapters of, of the same gospel saying to Peter, feed my sheep. In fact, it is the very same word. The right we have to be called children is the same word as Jesus' right to call us children. It is the word for authority. It is the same word he used when he said that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him by the Father, and that we should continue to exercise this authority and make use of our rights by means of the gospel being preached and the sacraments being administered. Our baptism gives us the right to be children of God. We make use of that right by seeing where Jesus exercises authority, his right to forgive us. Our right to be called children of God begins and continues here, where God first blessed Jacob with his own mouth, promising to bring him back to the house of God, where he would keep all of his promises. Was this forefront on Jacob's mind? Or was he worried about other earthly things? Well, God had mercy on him, and he gave him 20 years to consider what was most important. And 20 years after, he brought him back to the same land where he, upon whom angels once ascended and descended, wrestled with the man and blessed him again. And so you must wrestle. You must cling to him and demand this blessing, this blessing above all, the blessing of a good conscience in Christ, forgiveness of sins, everlasting life. And let every other trouble and sorrow besides drive you to him who always, always begins here. Child, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And so this righteous children is focused and exercised where you are taught God's word. We need our needs diagnosed by our physician who has mercy not on the healthy, but on the sick. He shows us our sickness, he shows us our sin, he shows us our unworthiness. He rebukes what must be rebuked. He rebukes us and tells us how to change our lives. He tells us to stop doing this and start doing that. He is wise and kind and he helps us. But before he sets out to fix us and make us walk as we should, consider the order of the paralytic. Before he gives us any works to do, there will be plenty. He forgives us the sins he teaches us to know and confess. Here is our righteous children to acknowledge first his authority as the Son of Man, our Savior. So it will be and often is that the cart is put before the horse. It will seem and feel like the right thing to do to put on the new man in preparation to put off the old. But it is not so. And it will not work. Before Jesus commands the man to walk home, he forgives him his sin. Before he gives us any good work to do, no matter how pleasant or holy, he begins with the gospel. He forgives us. This is a precious lesson from God who says through the prophet, 
that he desires mercy and not sacrifice. He desires to put away your sin and forgive it much more than he desires any work from you that might please him. As he says through another prophet, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. It is for his sake. This means that his work is more important than yours. It is his work that atoned for our sins. So before he prepares and enables us to do the works that please him, he works faith in Christ with whom he is always well pleased. This work of faith which only his spirit can work and strengthen in us is more precious than our work. Jesus told him to get up, pick up his bed, and walk home. So we should view our works in the same way and in two senses. First, we should see how easy it is when he forgives us our sins, gives us new life to live. It is so easy. It is a kindness. The good works we want to do are works that we want to do. And when he enables us, it is a kindness. It is power not stirred up within the will of our broken hearts. It is power bestowed upon us by him who binds our hearts with mercy and confidence toward him. Second, we should note how what we do in obedience to Jesus is commanded of us in the first place not to be the chief thing, but as a sign that his authority to forgive us is true. The scribes thought evil in their hearts when they accused Jesus of blasphemy. But they were silenced and shamed when the man did what he was previously unable to do. Jesus' power proved his authority. So you too prove Jesus' authority by making use of the power he gives you. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Speak truth with your neighbor, especially among us, your brothers, who are fellow members of Christ. Give place to wrath, even if you are right. When the devil accuses you, he's right too. But be angry without sinning by seeking to be reconciled more than you seek justice, as true children of God. Do not steal by laziness or entitlement, but work hard and be approved by those who see it. Live kindly with your spouse, discipline your children, approve of what is honorable and shun what is shameful, live like Christians by beginning with the first and greatest work that Jesus gives you to do. Go home justified. This means that you first confess your sins and believe God when he forgives you. Live as Christians so that by your good works you may put to silence anyone who balks at the authority your pastor made use of from Jesus when he forgave you all your sins in his stead and by his command. This power to live as children of God proves your right to be a child of God. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. So said St. Paul concerning himself and all faithful pastors. And so we as Christians live with power from God, pleasing him with good works which he commanded us to do in order to honor and prove the good and acceptable will of God, which is this, that you hear and believe that your sins are forgiven.
Eternal life is yours for the sake of him who lived and died for you, who rose again and who will command you also to rise, to live in glory with him forever. That's authority. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto eternal life. Amen.